John 8, 23 through 24. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, and I am from above. Ye are of this world, and I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe that I that believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Now, each and every one of you who is currently holding a King James version of the Bible, take a look at your text and notice that the word he there is in italics. That means that that translation, those words were not in the original text. That was added by the translator. So I want to put emphasis on what is being said in this verse. For if ye believe not that I am, our God is the I am. There are no others. He says early in the verse, basically, that we are made from the dust of this earth. We are from this world, and He is from above. Tonight, we're going to describe with what meager words we've been given in the English language to describe just how great our God, the I am, is. When studying this, I couldn't help but think that Going through the thesaurus and thinking of all the words we have, there are only three that even begin to come close to describing what our God is. And they're big words. They're omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Those cover just about everything, but they're still not enough. So let's concentrate on the first one, omniscient. Let's break it down. Omni is all-encompassing, completely, everything, nothing without and ishent on the end is knowing. He is all-knowing. But let's go even further into what the text says. If we jump over to John, I'm sorry, Job 31 and verse 4, doth he not see my ways and count all my steps? I'm sure many in here have had the little, little pedometers, I believe they're called, the little step measures. They count your steps everywhere you go. You can count your calories from that. He doesn't need the little device. Our God knows every step you take. Turn over to Matthew 10 and verse 30. Let's take it a step further. Just how all-knowing is the great I am? Matthew 10 and verse 30 says, But the very hairs on your head are numbered. I don't know about you, but I would not want to undertake that form of task, especially with all the ones that are currently falling out of my head. Keeping up with that would be very hard, but he knows that count as it goes through each and every day. Jeremiah 1.5 said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I ordained thee a prophet unto nations. He knows who we are before we are even conceived. Our God is all-knowing. He is mighty. He is the I Am. Jump over to Psalms 147 and verse 4. One forty seven and verse four of Psalms. He telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them all by their names. He calleth how many by names? All of them. With all of our technological uh, advances that we have in our society today, with our giant microscopes that can go or telescopes, not microscopes, that's small. The telescopes that can go so far away, we can't even count them, let alone we have not named them. 
but he calls every last one of them by name. In comparison, the stars of the sky are like that of the grains of sand in the sea. Who could number them, let alone name them? Our God, the great I Am, can. Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13. I know you're exercising that page hand tonight. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of man. He discerns your thoughts. Not only does he know your thoughts, he goes beyond mind reading. He knows your intentions behind the thoughts. He goes a level even deeper than that. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in our Lord's sight. From every elephant to every ant to every mite, he knows the location of every one of them. There is nowhere in this entire planet or anywhere else where anyone could ever hide from our all-knowing God. For they are all made manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There's no hiding from the knowledge of our almighty God, the I Am. Turn over to Proverbs 15 and 3 next. Now these are just a few passages to show the nature of our God and just how all-knowing he is. Proverbs 15 and 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place? Every would signify that there's not anywhere He's not. It's kind of the reverse. He is everywhere, laid forth bare, as if you're standing right in front of Him, are all the actions, all the creatures, everything in all of creation. Our God is all-knowing to the point where our little minds can, can hardly grasp it. Omni, all-encompassing. First Chronicles 28 and 9, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations... Of the thoughts. Again, there he is, knowing all of your imaginations, all your thoughts, all of your intentions, everything that's going on inside of your heart, our God knows. <clears throat> if thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. This is a promise here. Our God promises that if we seek after him, if we're thirsty for the knowledge, he will be there. We can find him. And that promise applies to everyone in this entire world. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you cast him off, he will cast you off as well in the last day. <clears throat> Not only does he know everything that we've done, but he has experienced it as well. What a great high priest we have in heaven with our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he was tempted and tried just like every one of us. He knows what it's, what it's like to be tempted of the devil he knows what it's like to be beaten and scourged. He knows more probably than some of us do in this room. Psalms 147 and verse 5 brings us to our next point, if you'd like to turn. Psalms 147 and verse 5.
We've talked about how the great I am is omniscient, all-knowing. Next, we're going to talk about omnipotent, omnipotent, completely potent, all there, all-powerful. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Not only does he have an infinite amount of knowledge, he also has an infinite amount of power to coincide with that. Turn back a few chapters to Psalm 96 and verse 4, and it says, For the Lord is great, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Let's think back to the story of Elisha and the altar of Baal that happened. Elisha the prophet went into the city and he saw the worshipers of Baal. He issued a challenge to the worshipers of this false, pretend God that they named Baal. He issued that challenge and said, well, if, if Baal be the true God, call upon him. Let, let's see a miracle of him. I'll even let you go first, he says. He was boastful, and rightly so, in his God, the I Am. He issued the challenge to the people of Baal. He says, we'll build an altar out of these stones. We'll build a big altar, prepare your sacrifices, chop them up however you like, and we'll lay wood. You can use the finest, best wood you want of all the land. Go ahead, put it on the altar, and call down from Baal and have him light the altar on fire for the sacrifice. He issued the challenge. The prophets of Baal wailed and screamed for hours, Baal, Baal, please light this on fire. Help us to, to show him that you are the true God. And they heard nothing but silence. Elisha then, <laughs> to add insult to injury, looks at them and says, you know, maybe he's off doing something else. Maybe, maybe scream a little harder. So they do. They end up injuring themselves in the process on, perfect, on, on purpose, trying to get the attention of their false god, but it avails them nothing. After several hours, most of the day, there is not a peep from their little g god. And so it becomes Elisha's turn. He says, all right, let's set up the altar. He prepares the meat, sets it upon the fire. And then he says, go, go, fetch, go fetch water. Go fetch the barrels of water. So they bring multiple barrels of water and dump it on the altar, thoroughly soaking the offering, the wood, the rocks, so much so he says, do it again. I want to really drive this point home of how powerful my God is. Do it again. So they did it again, to the point they had to dig a trench around to hold the water. They did it a third time. Elisha had them pour water. This was, I mean, if you've ever heard the term waterlogged, when you've accidentally fallen in the pool, your clothes are soaking wet, you're trying to walk around with the heavy shoes, they're filled with puddles. This is how every piece of wood was on that altar. And he knelt down and prayed to God, and it says that God sent down fire, and it consumed not only the sacrifice, but the wood, the water, the stone, so that there was nothing but dust on the ground. And it was immediate our God is powerful. He is not a little G God. He is always and always will be a big G God. The great I am and the only one. If we turn to Job 9 and verse 4. Oh, 
Yes. Job 9 and verse 4. He is wise in heart. Again, he's omniscient. And mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him, and who hath prospered? Not the Egyptians trying to keep the Israelites from leaving during the Exodus. Not the prophets of Baal. Not Baal himself. He's nothing. No one has ever been able to stand before our God, the I Am, and been able to even hold a candle. It's not even a challenge. Isaiah 40 and verse 28. Hath thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. Our God is so mighty that he created the entire earth and all things in it in six days, and he rested on the seventh. Did he need to rest on the seventh? No. I like to think of it personally, of him kind of stepping back and going, wow, I, I did a good job. Our God doesn't need rest. He is all-powerful all the time. And that's equally true for his son, Christ. Turn over to Matthew 23 and verses, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 8, verses 23 through 26. We'll actually just jump down to 26 for this one. <clears throat> Setting the scene, this is Jesus on the ship. The winds are blowing, howling. The, the people run down to the bottom of the ship and shake him. Jesus, Jesus, wake up, wake up. There's a huge storm. What do we do? What do we do? He says, and he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. He didn't just command it. He rebuked the winds. Tell me, there are parents in this room. How many of you have an upstairs bedroom where the kids tend to run around, make a whole bunch of noise? Eventually, you have to slam your hand down. What are you doing up there? Stop that. What do they do? They quiet down, right? Just like you would scold a little child, he rebuked the winds and the storms and calmed them. They are like little children to him. He is powerful. John 9 and verses 1. John 9 and verse 1. And then we're going to jump to verse 6 and verse 7. Again, showing the might of God, the great I Am, in the form of Jesus as well. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Jumping down to verse 6. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay out of the spittle, and told him, Go wash in the pool of Shalom, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and when he had washed, he came seeing. Was there anything special in the, the mud and the spit that Christ put on his eyes and wiped there and told him to go wash off? No. There's no scientific backing for any of that. It wasn't the fact of, of him spitting in the dirt and it's some special dirt, some chemical mixture formed and healed his eyes over the course of months. It says, immediately he came seeing. When God issues commands, there's a stipulation to it. There's something that has to be done. All he had to do was go wash the mud off. How easy was that? God doesn't seem to ask very much of us, but he can do so much more than I think some people give him credit for. Our God is 
mighty. And Matthew 8, 2 through 3, And behold, there came a leper, and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, and be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Our Lord healed a leper. It didn't take years of going to the doctor and taking prescription medicine and anything like that. The text says immediately. He is so powerful that he commands everything. And he also cleans completely. If we look at a similar verse of him cleaning a leper, in 2 Kings 5 and 14, it says, Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. This is Naaman. According to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again, likened to the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. When he dipped, when he was cleaned by God and given that miracle of being healed, he wasn't healed part of the way. He didn't just go back to the skin he had before, but he was made perfect. It says like that of a little child. I'm sure many in here have held a little baby girl or a little baby boy. Their skin is soft and supple and pure. There's, there's almost not a blemish to be seen on the whole thing. There wasn't a blemish to be seen on all of Naaman's body. He came up with perfect skin. Our God even has the ability to raise those from the dead. Turn over to John 11 and verse 25. John 11 and 25. This is Christ speaking to Martha here. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Our God has proven time and time again that He can raise the dead. He can heal the sick and the blind. He can calm the mighty storms with but a word. And before the world was even formed, He formed it with mere words. Matthew 19 and 26 says, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. And yet today, we still have people that don't turn to God for power. They don't turn to him for his blessings. They'd rather turn to man, to pseudoscience, to drugs, to alcohol to help them through various things. But what does it say here? But with men this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. A good analogy I heard of this once was superheroes. Everyone likes to see superheroes. Spider-Man, Iron Man, Hulk. They've got... All the super cool powers, the neat costumes, they're up on the big silver screen that we see. Our Lord Jesus Christ trumps every single one of them every single time. There's not even a comparison to be made. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And lastly, the third word that we could come up with was omnipresent. All-present, all the time. Turn to John 8 and verse 12 for me, if you would. John 8 and verse 12. Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Christ says that those seeking him We'll find that light of life if they're 
in obedience to him. He also says, I am the light of the world. If it's pitch black, pitch black outside and we step out and there's no street lights, no moon, no stars to guide us, no light source at all. For those of you who have been caving in the dark caves and you shut that flashlight off, you can't see your hand in front of your face when it's this close. It's scary when you get into a room that dark. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the movie The Lion King. He picks up Simba, takes him to the top of the mountain, says, all that the light touches is yours, right? Everything the light touches and what it doesn't touch also belongs to Christ. God is everywhere at all times. 1 Kings 8 and verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. Our God is mighty. If the world can't contain him, nor the heaven or the heaven of heavens, how much more the building down the street? How much Cookville? They can't. Our God is everywhere. He says, continuing on in that verse, how much less than this house that I have built? Going back to John 8 and verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. There it is again. I am. Before Abraham was. So we've seen him in, in spatial awareness as far as location. He's everywhere. But what about time? If God created the world, he created the entire concept of time as well. And he lives outside of it. Think of a carpenter who lays down a rope. We live along that rope, and there are two ends. The beginning of time when God said, let there be light, and the end when judgment day finally comes. Our God is so omnipresent that he can step back and simply view it. He has it all. He knows everything that is going to happen and has happened. Our God is everywhere omnipresent. That being said, Psalms 139, verses 7 through 8. Psalms 139, verses 7 through 8. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend it up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. There is nowhere we can go where God does not touch us, where God does not reach us. There is nowhere we can go to hide from God and keep our sins from his knowledge. But on the flip side, there is also nowhere we can go where he's not with us, holding our hand, guiding us and comforting us along the way with his word as well. Matthew 28 and verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you alway, even until the end of the world. Amen. Our God was there in the beginning. He was there with you before you were born and knew you when you were in the belly. He knew you before the belly, and he'll be with you on the judgment day. The question is, what will happen on that judgment day? When the world ends, it's a scary thought. It, it truly is. And this is the best way that I can put it. Throughout our entire lives, our God is there. He's pushing us to learn with him. 
learn who he is, spend time with our Lord in prayer, in study, in worship to him. He is with us throughout our entire lives, but when we die, he will not be with us. You heard me right. He will not be with us when we die. If we've done what he said, and we are judged accordingly, we will get to be with him. There's a difference there. We finally get to go home with our Father if we've done what we're told, if we respect Him and honor His Word and love Him from the bottom of our hearts with the correct intention that He knows. He formed the worlds with words. He knows everything in it, and He is always by our side, meaning He's in this room right now. It's a hard thing to process to think of that He's could be sitting in that chair right next to you. It says, where two or three of you gather, there I am also. We have a great gathering tonight to worship our God. And remember, it should be very comforting to you that God is always by your side. He'll never leave you. No one can take you so far out that He cannot save you. If you're lost in sin tonight and you need your God, seek Him. Come forward. If there's anything we can do to help you, whether it's pray for a loved one that's sick, help you get into a better place in life, maybe you want to put on baptism tonight and be put into the church that Christ gave to us. Be put into His family so that we can call you brother and you can call Him Savior. If there's anything we can do tonight, if you have need, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.